Welcome to Reframe and Reset Your Career, a career development podcast to help if you're looking for a job, feeling stuck in your career, looking to change your perspective, or just rediscover your why. I'm your host, Harsha Borolesa, and this podcast came about from my passion for neuroscience and psychology and their interaction with career and personal development. In each episode, I will be interviewing recognized experts and successful professionals and asking them about their career journey, their real life experiences, and to share the insights and strategies that have helped their careers thrive. Implementing change is not easy and does take time, but I do hope that their stories will inspire you to take a fresh look at your career and assist you on your path to a more successful and fulfilling career. Here are some highlights of today's episode. Empowerment is something where you make conscious decisions. You don't put yourself down, you don't put yourself up, but you don't commiserate and complain, you actually take action. Sadness is part of life, adversity is part of life. And I think that we sometimes forget about that. There are no uh, one-size-fits solutions or there isn't some miracle workshop or thing that you can do. It's, it's a long journey and it's a lifelong journey. You can do, you know, gazillion retreats or you can do meditate yourself until you're blue in the face. It might not do anything because you're actually not being honest with yourself and doing the inner work. Hi, this is Harsha, and I wanted to mention a couple of things before we dive into the show. Firstly, thanks so much to you, the listeners, for your continued support. The podcast is close to 1,900 downloads, and the YouTube channel has just passed 3,000 views. None of this would have been possible without you. If you have any feedback or would just like to say hello, feel free to get in touch via my social media channels or email me at the address in the show notes. I will also be taking a short break from the podcast over the summer, and the next episode will be released on Wednesday, the 8th of September. I will still be releasing content on the YouTube channel, so please keep an eye out, and it would be great if you would subscribe to the channel. Today's episode with Susanna Harkonnen looks at mental wellness and mental health in general terms. If this raises any specific issues, please do contact a suitable professional for advice. Finally, I would like to wish you an enjoyable summer break and look forward to joining you again on Wednesday, the 8th of September. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Reframe and Reset Your Career podcast. I'm delighted to welcome Susanna Harkonnen. Welcome, Susanna. Thanks, Harsha. Good to be here. Susanna is a registered counsellor and a certified coach with a background in logistics and supply chain management. She worked globally for the International Labour Organization and had considerable international business management experience before she decided to focus her career on improving mental wellness at work. Susanna is a certified clinical trauma professional, a certified autism spectrum disorder clinical specialist, and a certified grief therapist. And she's professionally trained in many other areas, including neuroscience, positive psychology, mental first aid for organizations. Susanna works with organizations, coaches and therapists and offers individual counseling to people around the globe. Her purpose and passion is to make mental wellness the new normal in organizations and empower stress professionals to take charge of their lives and feel better at work. Welcome, Susanna. Thanks, Harsha. (laughs) 
it's it's such a pleasure to have you on the show, uh, Susanna. And I love the fact that you're trying to empower people. And I think that's such an important part of this show and life in general, to, to sort of pass on knowledge and help people on their journey to a better place. Exactly. And, you know, this, this whole journey, what I'm offering at the moment, comes from that place of empowerment, things that I wish I had had when I started my journey. And it's so funny to hear you speak about my background because it takes me back to, you know, where I've been and where I am today and, and the whole journey. And it has been a long journey. So it's um, there'd be moments of empowerment and, and less empowerment. <laughs> yeah, but I, I suppose that's just part of life, isn't it? That, you know, at some points you're in a sweet spot where everything is going really well. But then there are others where, you know, for whatever reason, things just aren't. Very true. And life is, life is, you know, sadness is part of life. Adversity is part of life. And I think that we sometimes forget about that, especially at the moment when um, a lot of the millennials try to be everything. And there is this very, very strong culture of happiness. And, and you have to be happy. You have to be successful. You have to be a yogi. You have to be a meditator. You have to be a vegan. You, you have to, all of the have tos actually leading to a lot of pressure on people and, and are having an impact on their on the mental wellness. Totally. And we'll definitely pick up on all, all that stuff uh, later yeah. on. You know, the way I like to start the show is, would you like to share a quote with our listeners? Yes, I'm a great fan of Chinese proverbs. Um, and one of my favorite proverbs is, uh, be not afraid growing slowly, be afraid of only, be afraid only of standing still. Wow, no, that that's great, and and I think sometimes it's that doing a small thing every day, um, just showing up and trying, and sometimes it it takes a lot of initial effort to get going, but actually once you've put that in, it's like say going to the gym or uh, picking up any new habit. It's it's not easy initially, but actually if you've put the work in, it's it's so much easier, isn't it? Absolutely, and and I think that this is this is. One of my key messages is that it's not, it, it doesn't, there are no uh, one size fits solutions or there isn't some miracle workshop or thing that you can do. It's, it's a long journey and it's a lifelong journey. So moving on to your sort of early career, um, what led to your interest in well-being and mental health? I have always been uh, interested in wellness and, and healing. And this was, you know, since my childhood, healthy food, healing, all of those things that and, but, that, but I went to business school because in those days, that was what you did. And I, I came and that's where I studied logistics and supply chain management. And then I went into my first job and I was truly shell-shocked with what I had learned at school and the actual corporate environment. So I, uh, I worked hard and I had a burnout when I was, I think, 26, a mini burnout. And I felt terrible. I felt so guilty and so bad about having it, you know, it was as it was my fault. And now when I look back with all the knowledge that I have, it was unavoidable. That moment really shifted my focus. I said, like, am I going to take care of myself or am I going to sacrifice my health for a career? And then it took me a few more trials and errors to get to that point. But I, um, I ended up in, uh, working in China as a managing director of a company. And in those days, it was a, it was a fantastic posting. I, I loved being there in many aspects, but at the same time, it was, it was rough. And there was always some sort of disaster waiting to happen. I ran a team or a Chinese team, which was really interesting, but it was also all the culture shocks. And there were so many things that were putting pressure on me. And I said to myself, like, I have to find an outlet. 
and I found a vol- I volunteered for a counseling helpline to keep myself sane. Wow, There's, that was the, the the most reasonable thing I could do in, the, in in that time, and I loved what I was doing. We had great training. Um, it was actually Lifeline. Um, um, it's called, it's called Lifeline Shanghai. And we had a great training, wonderful people working there. They were so dedicated to what they were doing. And I learned amazing things. And I loved what I was doing. So I, I decided to get myself a formal counseling degree. And that's how I, how I started. And I, and I think something you can see, obviously, from your situation that uh, you probably went into an environment which was quite difficult. Um, and especially, I think, out of business school, you expect things to be in a maybe a particular way, the people to behave uh, yeah, in a certain way. But um, that that's just not you know, always going to happen. And and I, mm-hmm. and I think it's it's sad in a way that you sometimes people have these expectations about the how the world should be, but unfortunately, the world just isn't like that. So you have to adapt, don't you? Yes, exactly. And and we and if I had had mentorship or somebody helping me to realize that this was I'm not I'm going to face a very very different reality from the textbooks the ideal world and I've been living in a certain you know to some degree a sheltered existence like most people are when they are young and there were just horrendous things that were happening and I felt like a spectator of my own life now in the hindsight I'm really grateful for it um, and I, I think that leads on nicely to the, the another point that I was thinking about is that with sort of mental wellness, I think it a- impacts on every aspect of our lives and not simply work. And I think sometimes when people think, okay, um, I'm having problems at work, uh, it, you can just confine it to work, but actually it spreads out uh, to other, other areas of your life. If you're not happy in your job, maybe then your personal life suffers or other aspects. So in a way, I think... Um, you looking at mental wellness, it, it will, will help probably, you know, it potentially could help sort out your work, your personal relationships, other problems as well. Did you think so, Susanna? Yes, I do. And, and we are holistic beings, you know, work and life are not separate. We like to think about work and life as separate things, but absolutely not. You know, mental wellness is so foundational for our well-being. I mean, that peace of mind, that tranquility, that that calm that we all, inner calm that we are looking for, that's, that's what mental wellness truly is. Mental health, mental wellness for me really is very similar to physical wellness. You, you take care of it all the time. It's, it's small steps, as you were saying earlier, um, it's small steps, everyday choices. It's a sequence of choices that have an impact on you. You have to make the effort. You have to do the exercises. Mental wellness is the same way. It's a choice, it's small, small things, but it's, it's a conscious choice. And the more you do it, the more it's like a muscle, it develops. And the more you become self-aware, and then you cannot, you cannot turn back. And another thing with mental wellness is that it operates on a spectrum. And mental wellness is actually a spectrum. We're not even talking about mental illness here. We're just talking about normal people, you know, having their normal life experiences. So you do have a spectrum going from in crisis. This is when people really need help and they need maybe medication or or, or like actual help, even hospitalization, something in some cases, to excelling and thriving. And we all want to be in that thriving and excelling space, don't we? Oh, yeah. Totally. But it's not, you know, it's not sustainable to do it all the time. That flow, that wonderful feeling of, you know, I love my work, I love what I'm doing. It's an occasional thing. It comes and goes. Just like love, happiness, you know, you can have a wonderful moment with your partner, but it won't last forever. 
but you can have many of those wonderful moments that make the quality of your life. And the same thing goes for mental wellness. No, totally. And I I think it's very much about you need to obviously be self-aware, but then put in the work. Just like exercising, you have to uh, turn it into a daily practice. And you can't just say, oh, there's mental wellness. I'm on top of it. But actually, it will keep um, potentially coming back. It could be that there's you know your boss is doing something that annoys you or there's a a client that does something that upsets you um, and this is constantly going to happen but you have to figure out a way of learning to deal with that and not get triggered by it but but it's it's like a pattern isn't it you're you're trying to um see the world through patterns and see you know what has happened in the past maybe then you you look out for signs which may lead you down a, a path where you get upset and just pick that up and then try and shut it down as quickly as possible. Yeah, it is one thing, but I, you know, I hope we get to talk a little bit about nervous system during this talk because it's sometimes, you know, that we are conscious only five, only five percent of us are, of our brain is conscious and the rest sure. is unconscious. So we operate mostly in the in the dark. Oh yeah, and no, this no, is what, totally. Yeah. This is where it gets tricky because those are the the conditioning and the the things that come from our childhood and our our you know culture and all those things that we have absorbed, and those that the ninety five percent is actually the source of most workplace conflict and most mental Ill, Ill, not illness but mental unwellness. Now, now that you've brought it up, Susanna, why don't you dive into it? <laughs> it's a perfect time to talk about it. You know, there's more and more research about the mind-body connection. And the ancient, you know, you could go back to Chinese medicine, go back to yogis um, of, of India. They knew this already. So it's just coming back, actually. But it's wonderful that it's actually research-based. It's not just some sort of belief. And we can clearly see that there is, there, uh, our nervous system is, has a huge role to play in our mental wellness. And you can think about it as a traffic light. This thing called poly, the polyvagal theory, which is which is a very which is a fabulous theory, and it, it talks about the the traffic lights where ideally we are in the green zone. We're calm, we're peaceful, we're connected. We want to connect with others. We playful. Um, we can mate. We, we there are all these good things that happen there. Thinking, best thinking happens in this zone as well, or the connectivity. But when we get to that yellow zone, that's the fight and flight reaction. That's already when our nervous system is not functioning ideally, optimally. And what people often forget is that psychological threat is equal to physical threat for our biology. So whether it's, you know, us being chased by a tiger type of situation, or having colleagues that backstab you or, or having a boss who's really difficult or having an organization that's asking too much, that is the same thing as being chased by, by that tiger. Once when you get that thing and when you start listening to what's really happening in your body, you get a much, much better control of your nervous system. And that can be taught, that can be learned. And I, it has completely changed my own practice and it has changed the life of countless of my clients because you do feel like you're in control. It's not just something that's happening to you, not just gut level reaction or something. It's, it's physical reactions that you can track. And then you can find ways to calm yourself and bring yourself back to that green zone. It doesn't always happen. And we always constantly, myself included, you know, going back and forth in, the, in, the, in, in those traffic lights. Then you find ways to, you know, what works for you and you bring yourself back to that safe zone, so to speak. The last piece of the traffic light is, is that there are the green and the yellow. I would say 
this is my own statistics here, but I'm, you know, I would say that 90% of employees are probably in that red, uh, yellow or red zone on daily basis. And that has an impact on your, on your, on your body, it has an impact on your health, physical health, it has impact on your mental health, it has an impact on your relationships. The red zone is then a danger zone, really, because then you tend to be, you know, high alert and, and even dissociating, not thinking straight. So you may just have gut level, really gut level reactions to something that's happening and you are not really making conscious choices. I, no, I think that's a great point, Susanna, because I think yeah, you're, you're so right. So you go into work in the morning and your boss you know, doesn't treat you nicely. Um, it could be that he's had a bad day. You, you see that and then, you know, whether he or she is not nice to you, then you think, well, have I done something wrong? And maybe you get triggered. Uh, and this whole idea of you know, physical um, danger and psychological danger, it, the brain doesn't distinguish that. It, it, is that right? So then yes, you, it does not. Yeah. So then no. you get triggered, um, but, you, but actually it's not real danger. And then your body starts, there are these you know, chemical changes, which I'm sure you can talk about more. But uh, so it's, it's replicating physical danger when it's really a psychological threat. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And, and when we are not, when, when we are not in, um, you know, we pick up these, these threats all the time, whether we like it or not. So it happens before we think. It's called neuroception. And, and it's like a scanner. You know, I, I sometimes say like, it's, it, the vibe is real. So we can talk about the, actually the vibe that people give out. And that's, that's a neurological thing that we, it goes back and forth all the time. Sometimes when we are off, we, like you were just saying, we pick up the wrong vibe. So the boss may have a bad day or it has nothing to do with you, but you, you will feel like it's you because you have those triggers inside of you. So that, again, I'm a great believer in us doing our inner work and going inside and undoing the triggers. Because when you undo the triggers, then you become, then you find that piece of safety. And even if bad stuff happens, because it will inevitably happen, you know, you can't avoid that. Then you know how to bring yourself back. You may sometimes, you may have reactions. We're just talking earlier about, you know, today when I had a stressful situation and my reaction to that, mm. I had a stress reaction, but then, now, then I know how to bring myself back to that safe, safe zone. And I think that this is a really simple concept. It's easy for people to learn and it's easy to execute. And, and I think going forward in the world, you can just see the, the increasing uncertainty. Um, you know, you obviously just, take COVID and the pandemic. And actually things um, are probably going to get more volatile uh, rather than less going forward. So in, in a way, you can't prepare yourself for everything. But what you have to do is have a framework and figure out, okay, learn to deal with uncertainty, learn to deal with situations where you don't have control, but figure out a way of making yourself feel that you do have some, some sense of, of control. Yes. And when you, are in a, when you know yourself and when you are able to bring that safety to yourself, then I've, I've seen this with numerous clients, it does change their reality. They will see those th situations at work, especially at work, because I work mostly with people who have workplace issues, that you can see it with a distance. You know, there's, there's, there's a real clear distance with, between you and the problem. And even things that triggered them before no longer trigger them or only trigger them occasionally. No, and that is a wonderful thing to do. You, you really, it really empowers you. You can say, "Hey, I'm not just this crazy person who has these reactions," or you don't walk around ruminating about somebody saying something or not doing something, or, or the organization not giving you this or that. There's all these things that that take your headspace and make make your body actually in a state of permanent stress. 
And when you can, you know, eliminate that or reduce that, you will be in a much better space mentally. Totally agree. And and this whole idea of, um, you know, control and psychological safety, I I find that sort of quite interesting. Would you like to sort of uh, talk a, a little bit about that, Susanna? Yeah, psychological safety, as you probably know, it's kind of like popular thing at the moment. People talk a lot about psychological safety and bring it into organizations. It is important because that does create innovation and better performance. But essentially, it is linked to what I just said. When you are on that traffic light, psychological safety means that you're in the green zone, as simple as that. And your environment, the psychological safety in a team means that you can be in that green zone most of the time. Now, if people are not in that green zone, we know that. If you have a leader, our neuroception, you know, I mentioned earlier this thing, that the vibe that we pick up from other people, it's a neurologically, that thing actually, you know, we, we pick it up whether we like it or not. So if somebody is not feeling safe, we know that. And we are impacted by that unless we become conscious of it. You need, con- you need that consciousness to say, who, what's going on? Is this my issue or is this somebody else's issue? And when pe- people and uh, organizations are building psychological safety, it is crucial, crucial, Hasha, that leaders have it in themselves. If the leaders are in that yellow or red zone, they cannot bring psychological safety to their teams. It's just not possible. So, so in a way, the leader has to feel assured and uh, happy with the team and also give that impression to the team that they, or not the impression, but the reality that they're in a safe space. Is, is that right? That is one part. But then the leader also needs, as an individual, not only as a leader, there's a leadership piece, but then there's the individual piece. The leader also has to feel that they are in a safe space to be to, to work as a leader. And, and I think that there's a whole, I mean, this is a whole different discussion. I would love to see this in business schools where people are actually being taught this early on so that you can bring this thing to yourself and then you can impact others because it does have a ripple effect. I've worked with at least two leaders like that. It's amazing what they can do. They, they ooze this like... You can call it transformative leadership. Of course, these people have leadership skills. I'm not saying that. They have, they're smart. They have leadership skills. They have all the good stuff. But the foundation is really the fact that they are calm, peaceful, and they bring safety to everybody. I have your back. I'm here for you. And that's what ultimately psychological safety is. That's great. And, and, and also, how does that, that tie in with um, control? Because I've heard that when people feel that they have control over certain aspects of their job or their life, then that helps with them to feel safe. Yes, that whole self-determination, like you know that you can handle this and you know that you have the tools to do what you need to do. Yeah, it's, it's pretty simple. It sounds pretty simple, actually. So how, how can people in practical terms get greater control maybe at work uh, or in their sort of personal lives? You know, I, I think that self-awareness is, is number one for everything. You know, we go back into this 5%, 95%. If you don't know yourself, if you know what your triggers are and, and your unconscious beliefs and biases and, and all the not so nice stuff maybe, or even, even just good stuff too, but habits, what is going on? So the more self-aware you become, the more control you gain over your life. Because then then it's a conscious choice. And that's why I always advocate. I mean, I I really like holistic approaches. So approach where you, you know, you, of course, you take care of yourself physically, you eat well, you exercise, you sleep well, and those things. But then at the same time, there is this element of one size doesn't fit 
everybody. And you, it's, it's important to find those things that make a difference for you. And then you played cricket. That was something that you loved. Yeah, sure. So it worked for you. For somebody else, cricket might not be the thing. No, I, I, I love that point about you know, self-awareness because I think sometimes I think people are not honest with themselves about you know, maybe what are their strengths, uh, what do they like doing, what do they like doing, have they actually put in, put in the effort. And, you know, rather than saying it's somebody else's fault, it's a whole idea of, you know, working from the inside out, isn't it? Fic- almost Completely. Try and fix, fix yourself first. Um, it's not yes. easy. But if you put that effort in and you're honest and you say, look, okay, maybe I didn't put the effort in for that exam. That's why I failed. Or maybe I wasn't that engaged on that project. Maybe that's why. But you can do something about yourself. Um, and I think taking it away, away from this, I'm a victim. And I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, in a lot of situations, people have been mistreated. But I think if you take it away from that and think, okay, what's happened has happened, but there are things that I can do, I have control over certain things, and try and uh, sort those out to the best of my ability. Um, don't you think so? Well, this has always been one of the things that I, I, I love about your podcast and your approach in career <laughs> development is I've always loved this piece, is that don't take, don't consider yourself as a victim. Yeah, totally. Don't, too many people do that. And it's so easy to say, oh, it's the organization. It's this. I mean, pointing fingers is so easy. But real, real control starts happening when you turn inside and you become honest with yourself and you take just what you were saying you take responsibility for who you are your and you don't you know nobody's perfect nobody's perfect you can't expect you to excel in everything just be honest with yourself and listen to yourself and not go after every single fad that's out there you know at the moment people are supposed everybody's supposed to love yoga everybody's supposed to this and supposed to that you know we already said that earlier that's not the way to go if sitting alone by by you know a river and staring you know at the horizon is is your is your thing then do that if playing music is your thing then do that don't run after every single fad and post you know make beautiful post in Instagram so that you can get, you know, you can be part of the crowd. This is one of the dangers of, of, um, of this passion at the moment of, you know, mental wellness, mental health. Mental... I got interested in it a long time ago and, and it wasn't fashionable at the time. So it was a little bit like a hippie thing to do and then, you know, like weird. <laughs> I worked in India and I picked it up a little bit there and, um, and it, because it wasn't a fashion, it wasn't something cool to do. And now it has become the cool thing to do. But with that, it has become an industry that sells you all these all these fake ideas of how you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to what you're supposed to do to feel better. And there's no end to that. You can do, you know, gazillion retreats, or you can do meditate yourself until you're blue in the face. It might not do anything because you're actually not being honest with yourself and doing the inner work. I, I think that's an amazing point, Susanna. And I think this whole idea of execution, you really need to think, okay, what is, what is, yeah, be honest and, and figure out like, what is the real problem? What is the underlying problem? And then try and, and, and we're not saying it's, uh, it necessarily has to be a, a mental health thing. It could be yeah. that something you're not doing, but really drill down, figure out what the problem is and then uh, see how you can, fix that um and maybe you're not going to be able to do that uh overnight but if you uh take if, at least if you understand like this is the problem 
and uh, implement a, a, a plan or a program to get better. Uh, don't, don't you think so? Yeah, I do. And that's why, why, why we have coaches. That's why we have therapists. And there's a place and time for everything. So there's a time and place when you can do this thing you're on your own. If you, if you think about the iceberg, again, you know, like let's say that the 5% is the top of the iceberg, and then the rest, the 95% is under, underwater. You can do certain things with that 5%. You can be conscious, you can analyze, you can think, you can figure things out. But then when it comes goes to the, when you go to the unconscious side, you are often better off doing that with somebody else because that is because it's unconscious. So coaching, for example, does that top layer. You know, you can go to your beliefs, habits, mindset, mindfulness works in that space too. But then if you really want to dive deep, dive deep, that's when the therapy type of approaches and trauma therapy, for example, come into play. But yeah. that's when you do you, you go to the root cause. You know, in, in logistics and supply chain management, there's always the, the, the root cause, the bottlenecks. Totally. And, and, yeah. and I suppose just thinking on a sort of a career uh, basis, what, what I find sometimes is a lot of people um, struggle with fear and these limiting beliefs. Uh, which stop them from either uh, either applying for jobs or asking for that promotion or going for that promotion or going for that new job. What do you think, you know, in, in practical terms, what do you think people can do to overcome that? I think we've already talked about that quite a bit, you know, that honesty and saying like, okay, here are these, I, I'm aware, I may not be aware of what my limiting beliefs are, but I am having some limiting beliefs if I'm not feeling well. If you're not feeling well, then there's it's just there's something that something is trying to tell you something. And emotion, we're often very afraid of emotions, negative, especially negative emotions. And so we try to avoid them at all costs. But actually, emotions are just information. The more courage you can have, and, and especially if you can work with a really good person, you know, whether it's a therapist or a coach or even a friend, family member, somebody who really has your back and gets you and has the necessary self-awareness to help you, then you can go a long way. But it's that dive into that. You can get rid of big stuff in relatively short time if you dive in. It's just information. It's not trying to, it's not going to kill you. And, and maybe you are in the red, you know, yellow zone or the red zone, but it's, 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 you know, trying to get your attention. And I think that that's also one of those things which I have learned through my own journey is to say, oh, I'm feeling, I'm not feeling good. I'm like sad or I'm feeling awkward or... Just something's not okay. Where does this come from? Is this my thing? Am I picking it up from other people around me? You know, is my neuroception just feeling somebody else's feelings? Sure. Or is this actually something that I need to address and, and put on the table and see where, where does this come from? And it's fantastic how it works. And it becomes almost addictive because once when you learn how to do that and you have a good network of people around you with whom you can do it, there's no stopping it. It's an ongoing process and it becomes fun and it becomes easier and easier and easier. I think there's a great point about emotions because they're almost a signal, I think, uh, for something, giving you an indication of how, how things are. And then you know, rather than sort of push, if they're bad, rather than pushing them aside, you need to try and drill mm -hmm. down and figure out what is the underlying cause. Is that right? Yes. yes. And we are wired for to avoid pain and seek pleasure. So we want that pleasure. But actually... The key to feeling better is to confront that pain. And oftentimes the pain is bigger in our minds than it actually is. Once when you tackle it, it's almost similar to tax returns. You know, when you file those things, you push it off and, 
you push it off and you push it off. And once when you get started, it isn't that big of a deal oftentimes. So it's, it's very similar when it comes to personal or inner work. It's funny because I was just about to say tax returns. And on another podcast, I actually said that that was with uh, Tammy Kulilu. Obviously, we're reading each other's minds, Susanna. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but but I, I think the other interesting thing is that, um, sure, I think emotions, they are important. You have to uh, uh, acknowledge and them be aware of them but also i think sometimes you have to make sure as we we're talking about before not to be overcome by them because say you know we were talking about the example of the boss if something doesn't go well and she 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 or he is not nice to you then there's no point just reacting you have to step back and try and look at the reality of the situation um don't you think so mm-hmm. rather than just freaking out yeah that's a, that's a good question because you don't do that freaking out consciously so it takes a little bit of exercise, you know, to, to get to that point where you don't freak out. If you have, if you have a tendency to be emotional, some people have a, a way to, to analyze things and they can take a step back and, and they can deal with those things in a very conscious and, and, and careful manner. Most people are not. Most people are emotional to one degree or another. And I think that that's, again, the more self-aware you are, more, more conscious you are of your of your beliefs and your triggers, the more you can take a step back when you freak out. Yeah, and, and actually sort of building on that, just looking at, at the way you work and the way you operate, because, you know, I was having this conversation with a, a, a friend on another podcast and saying you're very um, detail-oriented, you know, you are a complete perfectionist. Actually, sometimes you don't need that. You need maybe 80% or 90% and then you can ship it out the door. But right. if you're somebody who's not detail-oriented, you actually need to be far more focused on the detail. Or say um, you're a person who's very giving. Yeah, I love what you're saying because it's so true. It's so true. This is, again, this one size doesn't fit all. Yeah. Or say yeah. in a networking situation, you're a very generous person and you naturally give. Um, that I, actually I don't think is always a good thing because if you're giving the whole time, then people will take advantage of you. And I'm not saying yeah. that you should be transactional about the way you help people, but I do think mm-hmm. you should also be um, aware of you know, picking up. Because it, I'm sure you've come across it, Susanna. There are people who are quite willing to take, but don't give anything in return. And I, you bring up such an important point. You know, one of the things when you when you do a, when you become a therapist and you do your training, one of the key things is your is boundaries. It's it's, it's crucial in this in, in therapy work and becoming assertive. And that was a huge huge learning curve for me because I was definitely an overgiver. And getting to that point where you can say, no, this is this is. You know, I'm I'm still generous, but there's there's a there's a there's a limit, and what you were just saying it's very true, and it's becoming aware of 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 where your weak points are, where you need to work on, and and become healthier. When you realize that those boundaries, it's nice to give, but then if it's hurting you, then you should stop. Yeah, be- being selfish is a good thing. <laughs> being selfish is a good thing. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. When it comes to mental wellness, one of the things that I've learned really is, is genuineness. That's what people are looking for. We all want to feel, be genuinely who we are. We all want to be connected to who we really are. And, and the more you fake, the more removed you are from your actual true self. And going back to that true self really takes that deep dive. And, and sometimes it's not painless. It really isn't always fun, but it really is worth it. 
I think once you learn to like yourself and be happy in your own skin, yeah, I think we're sort of veering off careers, but I, th- I think this is a really important point that I think if people are happier with themselves, with their lives, then I think it's just much easier to deal with these other things. You know, things don't go well at work or in, in other areas, then you don't feel it's such a personal, you know, if, if you've invested everything in your work, working life, work is there to validate you or for some people, it's their yes. partner or their um, house or their money or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, that That's mm-hmm. the thing that validates them. But actually, if you can um, be happy with yourself and the things that you do, then actually all those other things, are they're quite trivial. They become quite trivial. trivial. Yeah. They do. They do. And you can derive joy from very simple things. You know, life becomes more simple. That's... And again, if you look at workplaces, People are investing a lot of, especially the millennials are investing, putting a lot of value in in how they achieve and what. There's a lot of expectations. I come across this regularly with clients. A lot of expectations of where they're supposed to be and how they're supposed to be and how the company's supposed to be and the company's supposed to be ethical and 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 brand and this and that and the other. I mean, all these things things that pile up and it's making their life really difficult because it's like chasing after that thing that doesn't exist that that amazing job that will be my passion will be my mission most people don't have a mission or passion in life you're putting yourself in a very risky and vulnerable situation because essentially you're saying okay i'm going to work for this firm and they are going to be yeah ethical they treat all their employees well and i'm not saying that they shouldn't but yeah if things go wrong then you've invested all your life and given all your agency to that company that company can um, go bankrupt. The founders may sell up and leave, and some other private equity person comes in who has has got different values. I'm, I'm not. We're yeah. not. We're not criticizing private equity, but you know. No, we're not. But, no, but yeah, but, it, but things can happen. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, exactly. Um, and and it's like you you need really need to be careful to put all your eggs in that one basket. Yes. I think it's important to do something that you love because we spend so much time at work or not something that you love, but at least you can live with. You don't have an ethical, real ethical dilemma with it. But oftentimes the issues really come from inside. And the more you resolve your own issues and your own triggers, we go back to that issues and triggers, the more you can be anywhere, the more you can work almost anywhere and be okay with it. Oh yeah, no, no, totally. Um, and, and Susanna, just getting back to sort of you know practical things um, in terms of the working environment, because all the stuff I think we've talked about before are so important. Getting your headspace and and your mind and your mindset sorted out. Yeah. I, I totally agree; those are so keys. But just in terms of sort of practical um, situations, say. Uh, you're looking for work and I'm, you know, obviously a lot of our listeners are out there, they're looking for jobs and things are not going particularly well. What would you suggest? Are there any particular strategies uh, which you would suggest which might help them? Oh, that's the eternal question, Harsha. <laughs> that's a, that's a, really a tricky one. But And I've seen this in practice because I have recruited a lot of people. You give out a vibe that's off when you're not in a good space. So if your job search isn't going particularly well, you know, there might be reasons because, you know, external reasons like redo your CV and your social media profile and whatever. But that's the external piece. But oftentimes, if you get an interview and something is not going well, it actually has more to do with where you are yourself or where the companies themselves. Sometimes you're not meant to work for them or you're not a good match, not meant to work. It's not like 
but you're not a good match with the company. And that's okay too, but it's not an attack on your personal value. You are valuable no matter what. So as your personal value is not attached to the outcome of the, of the interview. But if you give off a vibe of unhappiness, of, of something really not being okay, the recruiters do pick it up. Desperation, they pick it up too. All of these things, they do pick it up. So work on yourself, get rid of those triggers, figure out what's really making you tick, and then try again. And I have seen this happen even recently with, with um, uh, a client of mine who was not in a good space and was able to turn things completely around and has honestly landed on a really fantastic job. And that was all thanks to her own dedication to doing her, her personal work. So this is just one example. There are several others like that. And I've seen it happen over and over again. So go back inside and, you know, educate yourself, do the work, do what it's needed. And remember that mental health and wellness is a choice and it's a daily choice. Uh, moving on from that, if you're employed and say you have a boss um, and you're having difficulties with them, um, what would you mm-hmm. suggest about uh, maybe some strategies about how, tr- how, how to improve that situation, Susanna? The first question that is important to ask yourself is that, is this really a toxic boss? Is this a harmful, toxic relationship for you? Then I would suggest getting at least some informed advice from people that you know and you trust and and seeing how you can get away. You know, can you get a transfer to another department? Can you, um, can you, can something happen so that you don't need to be in direct contact with that person? That is one thing, but the majority of people are not toxic there. When I say toxic, I mean people who are, malignant they're the narcissists psychopaths you know machiavellian they're outright evil and those people exist but the large majority of bosses are not that way i would really go back inside and see what's my part in this what can i do how can i change the situation how can i change my attitude how can, is there something you know the 10 percent rule when you listen to somebody and you say like oh this is this is rubbish and you say mm, well i'll give 10 maybe 10 percent of this is this stuff is true. Do that. Maybe your boss, maybe they don't give the feedback so eloquently, but maybe there's some some message there. Maybe there's something that you can change. But but I know I I really like that point about look, um, figure out a plan of of getting out of there. Yeah, and if it's not really bad, you need to then see. Look, is there a way of, of resolving the situation? Uh, but yes. if if you can't, then you need to figure out an exit strategy. Is that broadly correct? Exactly. That's more or less correct. And oftentimes the exit strategy, unless you deal with your stuff, you will find the same issues in your next job in a different format, maybe. But it's really that just that job. It's oftentimes, you know, there's this famous mindfulness mindfulness book called Wherever You Go, There You Are. It's an old book, but it's really still valid. That's you bring your stuff with you. Maybe if there's another thing that comes to my mind, it's, it's, all, it's easy to ruminate and it's easy to get compassion when you are in a bad situation. So how often do we say like, oh, you know, this boss is horrible and I'm, yeah. And then all the friends and, and even sometimes colleagues say, yeah, yeah, you know, it's all be miserable together. And that is the opposite of empowerment. That is victimhood. Yeah, no, and no, we no, started no. this podcast by talking about, about empowerment, empowering empowerment is something where you make conscious decisions. You don't put yourself down. You don't put yourself up. 
but you don't commiserate and complain. You actually take action. And that is empowering in itself. And I would advocate really wholeheartedly for that, being connected and being empowered. Yeah, and I, and I think just leading on from that, you know, okay, things may have not gone right. Maybe um, your boss or somebody else hasn't treated you well. But and, and I think sometimes people are so fixated about justice, um, like f- forget about it. You know, I'm, you know, I'm not not saying that obviously if something illegal or criminal or whatever has happened, you obviously you should find a, a complaint or you've been harassed. But a lot of times, look, yeah, as much as I'd like there f- f- to be justice in the world, that's just not going to happen in certain situations. And you may just have to think, okay, look, I'm going to cut my losses and, and just move on. And actually, uh, that might be better for you because maybe there's a, a better opportunity somewhere else or you're working with better people. Um, don't you think so? <laughs> this is another thing that I've always liked about what you're saying because you have that ability, many don't. It's tricky from a therapy perspective because people who have that sense of justice often comes from their childhood. It often goes back to really their early childhood. And it's a real big trigger because when they don't feel justice, they they react strongly. They overreact. You know, they want to save the world and heal everybody and, you know, like... I think that this is this is where again, if you really have a very very strong sense of justice, there's nothing wrong with defending defending the underdog or defending yourself. Um, but if it really is an emotional reaction, be careful because it often isn't about the situation; it's about what what's under that iceberg, <laughs> the <laughs> sea under the sea, and deep 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 down. Yeah, I totally agree agree with that. Yeah, and. Um... Is, is there anything else that we're sort of coming to the uh, end of our, our time, Susanna, uh, anything that you um, would like to add, which you haven't mentioned before? Uh, I think balance is extremely important. Finding balance is, is the key to everything. And how you find that balance is really individual. So for somebody, it can be music, for somebody, it can be cricket, for somebody, it can be boxing, for somebody, it can be, I don't know, swimming, um, movies. There's even a form of therapy called tango therapy oh, that's wow. in Argentina. <laughs> but whether it's whether it's it's physical, whether it's mental, whether it's artistic, you know, find that balance. Find things that make make you feel good. When you feel do things that make you feel good, you you put yourself first. And a lot of people forget about putting themselves first. It's, that's that's essential in your well-being. You are the most important person in your life. And the most important person you need to take care of is you. No, I, I love that point about balance because I think that is just so important in all aspects of our life. But you know, balance uh, mentally, uh, work-life balance, all these things. You need to make sure that um, you're, you're following a path which isn't taking you down one extreme. Obviously, you can be passionate about something, and and you know, we're not. And there can be that- periods when you do more of one thing, or you you work a lot, or you do one, you know. But then you do, uh, then it's not all the time, and you bring yourself to that balance. And again, self awareness. The more self aware you are, the more you know what brings you balance. No, no. The more you can put the boundaries, and the more it's again, it's a beautiful ripple effect. That's a that's a great point. Um, and Susanna, I, I believe you are starting a podcast soon. Is, is that right? Would you like to tell our listeners a bit about that? Yes, we are starting a, a podcast about mental health. 
um, busting some of the myths around mental health and, and with LADHRE, and that will happen um, uh, end of August, early September. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, I bet that's... Yeah, there will be more information on my website, which is innerwork, innerwork.world. So you can find information there um, in mid-August, latest. Fantastic. Um, and yeah, would you, um, you know, obviously all your um, information and contact details, they'll be in the show notes. So don't worry. Um, so um, yeah, and it'd be definitely uh, exciting to learn more about the podcast and your work with Eledi. I'm sure that that will go uh, really well. Before we end, um, is there anybody you'd like to give a, a shout out to? Um, oh, there are numerous people that I'd like to give a shout out to. <laughs> Uh, but recently, I had I would love to give a shout out to um, Ludmila Proslova. Of course, Ludmila, yeah. Ludmila, who's uh, a professor at the, uh, the uh, Vanguard University in Southern California. She's been a very inspirational figure, and she's incredibly generous with her wisdom and with her time. So I have learned so much from her recently. That's brilliant. Yeah, we've been really um, uh, reading each other's minds. So it's a bit, <laughs> been a bit spooky. But uh, yeah, thanks so That's much. That's neuroception for you. <laughs> <laughs> thanks again for your time, Susanna. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks, Harsha. It was really a pleasure. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening and staying to the end. That was such an enjoyable interview. If you would like to listen to more episodes, then please consider subscribing to the podcast which is available on your favorite providers and subscription is free. If you wish to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, please take a look at the show notes, which are available online. Thanks once again for listening. Stay safe and look after yourself. I hope you will join me again in the future.